0: Welcome to the Ardent Archives, a ministry of North Clay Baptist Church. Here we explore the writings of church history in order to edify and equip the saints in their ongoing discipleship. During this series, we are reading and discussing On the Incarnation by Athanasius of Alexandria. In this small volume, Athanasius expounds on the truths of Christ's incarnation with great precision and clarity. Written in the 4th century AD, there have been few works since that time that have come close to being as rich and concise in their explanation of this vital doctrine. So sit back and prepare to have your heart and mind engaged as we dive into On the Incarnation by Athanasius of Alexandria. Hello again and welcome to the Ardent Archives. I am Drew Bieber. I am your host and I'm here with my co-host, Pastor Josh McDaniel. We have been reading and discussing On the Incarnation by Athanasius of Alexandria. And we've really kind of split this book up into three different sections. We've looked at, uh, first we've looked at the problem and the solution. The problem being the problem of sin, and the solution being the Incarnation of Jesus Christ. And In our last discussion, we looked at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and the reason we we did that, and the reason that we believe Athanasius included this in his work on the Incarnation, is because in order to understand the miracle of the Word being made flesh, we have to understand the purpose of the Word being made flesh. And that if we divorce the purpose from the act itself— uh, we, we almost lose any sort of power, any sort of meaning behind the incarnation itself. And we, and we kind of discuss you know, what happens when we have a Christmas season that's divorced from the understanding that it is the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, coming down in human form for the purpose of fulfilling the law and paying the penalty of our sins. And in this last section of the book, we're looking at the refutations, and in the last 3 chapters of the book, Athanasius spends some time refuting uh, unbelief from the Jews and then refuting unbelief from the Gentiles. Now Josh, w- what's the purpose of including these refutations? Like we've already we've already kind of laid out what the incarnation is. We've also laid out its purpose. What's the point of 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 essentially calling people out for for not believing this thing.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, anytime that the truth is laid out there, uh, no matter what the format uh, or no matter what the venue, no matter, whenever the truth is laid out there, you're going to have objections to the truth. And it goes back to uh, what we said early on in our discussions about the book, that the truth will never be exhausted and we must never be fatigued to continue to share the truth. And the reason why we can never afford to be fatigued to share the truth is because objections to the truth will never be fatigued. Right. This right. world will always be adverse to the truth. And so Athanasius when he lays out these these realities so clearly through his book, uh he recognizes that there have already been objections To These truths and that there would continue to be objections to them and so he goes ahead and heads them off in the two major categories that he would have encountered and that will encounter and it's through the refutations of the Jews. And the refutations of the Gentiles, specifically for him, it's going to be the 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 Greeks and, and the people that, that he's going to have uh, discussions with. There, he was in the kind of the Egypt area, uh, being yeah. around the Egyptian climate. So he breaks it down to those two ways, and it's fascinating when you when you look at his uh, kind of, I guess, where he would draw the line we have to draw the same line in the sand today right right it's it's a it's a fascinating thing he starts off with the jews uh and uh you know the jews even to this day drew they don't acknowledge jesus as the christ at all uh they look at him and and they they say that jesus was a person by the way this is a brief aside we are in a odd place in history now where there are people who are trying to say yeah, Jesus wasn't even real. That that, that he's been fabricated out. Right. Of, that he wasn't even an, an actual person. Right. That he's been fabricated out of thin air, and that he's not real. Okay. That argument is we don't even we don't even need to go there because that argument is so ridiculous. I mean, just it it, it fails even when you start saying it. You can't say it without kind of almost laughing at it and right. Right. It. I uh, remember the first time
0: I, I introduced that I was a small group leader uh, at at a previous church. And I remember laying that out for these students that to say that Jesus never existed is absolutely ludicrous. And I'm like, there is more evidence for the life of Jesus than there is that you exist, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. You have a social security number. Maybe you have a driver's license. Okay. If we took up all of the things, right, that we could compile and say, this definitively proves that Josh McDaniel exists, it still doesn't even amount to the amount of uh, of information and the amount of, of documentation we have that Jesus was a literal person, right? Right. There, there's more proof for his existence
1: than your existence. And you're sitting right in front of me. Right. And, and, and that's, that's true of any person ever in history. In fact, the, the person who's been written about most in all of literature is our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And, and that started from, uh, from back in the first century till now. Um, so, so, he doesn't have to deal with the whole mindset that, oh, Jesus wasn't even real. No, everyone recognized Jesus was real during that time. Uh, and, and so, the Jews recognized he was a real person, but their main ideas about him were that, yeah, he was a real guy, but he's not divine. He's not God. <laughs> he is not the Messiah. That He is not the promised one from the prophets, uh they deny the Incarnation just basically that, that that, yeah, maybe the Incarnation's coming, but Jesus isn't it. Uh, and so they deny that even to this day. They still deny that that Jesus is, is God, right. And, and And they're looking for
0: a a uh, someone to fulfill uh, certain prophecies, but they're also looking for a political figure that comes from uh, right. David's lineage.
1: Right. Which, which, you know, Jesus was the, he was the man who fit that mold, but he wasn't the, he wasn't the political, he didn't come and establish his kingdom on earth immediately. So that's what they were looking for. They're looking for this political ruler who's going to come and immediately establish the kingdom here on earth. And Jesus came and he established the kingdom of God here on earth, but it was, it was not the kingdom they were looking for right right but he was the political leader that they were that they were longing to see if you go down if you look at the genealogies that go through Matthew and if you go through the genealogies in Luke you've got a, a really fascinating thing that that goes on there and th- so through Matthew you walk through the genealogy from from David uh or you can look at the the davidic line to Joseph and you can see that if there was anyone who could take up the Kingdom of David, it was going to be Joseph and Joseph's son. Right. Okay. So that's, that's, you can walk through that line, you can see that. So who was Joseph's first son? Well, it was Jesus. But there's a problem there in that people will sit there and they'll say, well, but, 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 but no, no, no. Joseph wasn't really his earthly father. So Jesus cannot claim that. That role, he cannot claim that kingdom. Well, Luke comes and he goes through the genealogy and he goes backwards. Whereas Matthew goes from the Old Testament to Christ, Luke goes from Christ to the Old Testament, and we see hmm. the same line go from Christ to David. But what Luke does is he goes through the line of Mary and he says, huh. You see, Mary even has this divine right there in her bloodline. And so literally yeah. Jesus is the only person who could fit into that political mold. And if it's not Jesus, then no one in today's time can make that claim. Right. right. The reason for that is because in 70 AD, the fall of uh, Jerusalem and the temple was, I mean, it was catastrophic. And all of the records, all of the genealogies that the Jewish people had that were known and that were absolutely uh, solid and resolved and everyone could look at and trust in, all of those genealogies were gone. And so if anyone today rises up and says, I'm the Messiah, they'll have no way to back it up through any any bloodline or any gene- genealogical proof whatsoever if it's not Jesus who fits that mold then it's no one right right and we see that in in you know
0: in at the end of Luke on the road to Emmaus when uh Jesus is walking with these disciples how does he uh, how does he sort of explain to them yeah. that that this is exactly what 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 was prophesied what was supposed to take place he walks them through the old testament right. and he shows that all of the old testament scriptures Point to him specifically, right? And I think it's interesting, uh, y- you know, in in the context, the historical context of Jesus' time, the the Israelites were looking for a a political savior. They were mm-hmm. looking for someone mm-hmm. who would sort of reestablish Israel to her to her former glory, if we can put it that right. way, and who would release them from the tyranny and the oppression of the Romans. Um, and and if. It, if that's our mindset, right? If, if we if we were to take a step back uh, and enter the mindset of of those ancient of uh, Near Eastern Jews, uh, we see the problem as the oppression of the Romans, mm-hmm. and and I think this this takes us back to the beginning of the book when Athanasius lays out the problem that no, the problem is sin. Right. And what you need is not to be freed from this particular type of oppression, what you need is to be freed from your sin. And if we don't rightly identify the problem, when we are looking for that savior, we're going to we're going to miss him because we're looking for somebody to fix a, either a problem that's not there or to fix a
1: problem that's not ultimately the actual problem. Yeah, and and the Jews still are looking for that person. They're still right, wanting right. that person to come. In fact, uh, and I've done this I mean probably half a dozen times, you know, when I'm talking or engaging into a person who is Jewish in today's time and and they openly reject that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, the first thing I'll do is I'll say, hey, let's open up to Isaiah 53 together and they have Isaiah 53 in their scriptures and so we can open up to it and I'll have them read it. And as they read it and they uh, understand what the prophet says about the suffering servant, It's so evident that it's talking about Jesus. I mean, it's so on the nose. And so at the end of that reading, I will always ask them, who does that sound like to you? And without fail, they'll all look at me and they'll say, that sounds like Jesus. And I say, because it is Jesus. Right, because it it is. It's so obvious through the genealogy, his bloodline, through what the prophets foretold. It's Jesus. And to deny that is almost to is it's the silly imagery that you're just putting your head in the sand, that you you it's ignoring that, the plain fact. It's not that you can't see it; it's that you refuse to see it. Right, you right. won't see it. Um, and so he deals so eloquently with the Jews, and and we've you know kind of added our 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 mindset here in this time to that because we see the same struggles today, uh, and we see the same the same hardships today. Even after all this evidence, they still deny that Jesus is the Christ. And so Athanasius does a good job of, of, of combating against that. Right, right. And he not only deals with, with
0: the unbelieving Jews who, you know, although we would probably identify their commitments as being uh, commitments to a particular tradition, they right. do have a religious commitment which keeps them from, from acknowledging the realities of, of the Incarnation. And, but he not only deals with with this sort of uh, uh, a religious commitment that keeps them from from seeing these things but he also deals with uh, with the Gentiles mm-hmm. and like you said these would be identified as sort of the the Greek philosophical crowd yeah um, who, who would probably more be identified with what we would understand uh, atheism to be today these were uh, uh, people who denied you know sort of uh, sort of religion in the Sort of classical sense of understanding, but even the Greek philosophers had all this sort of mythology and whatnot behind their right. The th- reason they philosophy. denied it,
1: the reason they it, though, was on the basis of their intellect. Right, right, exactly. And that's, exactly. What athe- uh, that's what atheists do today. Well, I have, I have, I have grown beyond my need or my want to believe in a God we have outgrown God you know it's kind of right, the mindset right. and, and the Greeks had that kind of uh, philosophy and and it the thing about philosophers and atheists or you can even sometimes say scientists you know who right, scientists right. like to and, and and philosophers they like to talk in these huge big terms that make them seem superior and you uh, who would be the listener, or if you ever want to talk to them and you don't have those big terms or those big ideas that they throw out there, they try to make you feel inferior. And it's a, it's a, it's a, right, it's it's almost like well, I'm going to use big words mm-hmm. that you don't understand
0: to basically keep you from interacting with me. Right, because if you get, if you don't understand the terms I'm using, then you
1: really have no leg to stand on. That's right, right. and 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 it kind of makes me oh, I'm so high and mighty, I'm yeah. above you, you little peons. You know, don't don't kind of like when
0: I start talking to you about you know anything technical, anything you know I mean?
1: technical. Look, you can tell me, you know. One sentence about a computer, and 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 immediately, I feel like. He's talking to me as if I am lesser. Right. When I
0: talk about like disc spinning disk drives or, you know, solid state hard drives what or are you talking RAM what are you or talking gigabytes about? or terabytes or megabytes. Like you don't even know what any of those things are.
1: I'm completely out of my yeah, depth right yeah. now. Okay. And it
0: really, I sound smart to you, even though I'm really not talking about anything. No, it's just, the, just words. It's
1: Just words. That's all it is.
0: And, but and that's I, what happens in a lot of these interactions with these sort of, you know, intellectual types is they're just using big words. Right? And the reality is, is they can't. They can't explain these things in such a way uh, without using these big words. It, 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 and it's not that you have to use the big words to explain these things, but I'm using the big words as a way to shut you up. Right. I don't really want to interact with you, and so I'm going to end the conversation by basically using words that you don't understand to basically say, hey, we're done here. It's a
1: preemptive strike. Right. And it's a very effective one. Uh, uh, particularly in Christianity today, one of the main things people say is that they don't they don't know enough in order to engage people, you know, or to meet refutations when they arise, uh, and so Athanasius just cuts through that like a knife through warm butter. In, in in the way he does it, he addresses that now he's going to talk to the Gentiles, he's going to be speaking to these Greek philosophers, and and he he goes into it. And what you expect to read upon your first time going through it is that he's going to get very heady and he's going to get uh, very uh, maybe intellectual in his discussion. And instead, it's very practical and it's very, uh, very easy to grasp. So one of the big arguments that would have come up at the time is that if God wanted to come if he wanted to be incarnate. He wouldn't have come as a human because that's beneath God. He would have come as a much nobler type of being, like a sun or star or something like that. Uh, And Athanasius takes one look at that little argument and in just short order He puts it up on its head, and he says, guys, the reason why he came was to redeem mankind if he's going to redeem mankind, he must come as a man. I mean, it's as simple as it can be, you know, and he he goes further and expounds into it deeper, you know, in that a son cannot, uh, a son cannot pay for our sins. A son cannot bear a righteousness that we're meant to live. You know, he, he, he expounds on, he, he opens it up into further detail and discussion, but it's such a simple statement early on. He, it's, it's almost like you don't have to get into this intellectual place in order to turn these, I guess these, these faux intellectual arguments up on their head. Right. Common sense will do that. Well, and again, you know, similar
0: to, to dealing with Jews, he takes us back to the problem. You know, the, the problem is this issue of sin. And what can a star do about the problem of sin? Nothing. Right. It can do nothing. What can a moon do about the problem of sin? It, it can do nothing. Right. And and really, I, I I I so much appreciate the fact that he constantly is going back to. We have to understand the problem. Yeah. We have to recognize that if 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 this is the problem, it has to be handled in a certain way. Right. And and if you want to if you want to throw out there that there's a different problem, well then, maybe we can interact over that. But we, it's almost universally recognized that we have a problem of sin, right. whether we call it sin or not. Everybody recognizes something is wrong in the right. world. It's supposed to, we're, we're supposed to live and exist in a particular way, and, and, and there's something wrong. It, it's, it's not working out the way it's supposed to work out. And it doesn't matter where you look, in culture, in religion, in politics, in family, in w- what have you. We, we all recognize that there is a problem. Things are not working the way that they're supposed to, and that immediately informs what the solution is and and if we're to understand the solution rightly we have to understand the problem first and foremost
1: absolutely and and he keeps taking us back to that base he keeps taking us back to that foundation because it's upon that foundation the the need for a savior that we recognize Here's how the Savior has come. Here's how He has brought salvation. Here's how we can live in light of it. It's the same thing in in today's time with with the atheist. The atheist tries to get all heady and he tries to get all uh, pious and intellectual in his talking, and he tries to say quantum yeah, theory, yes. mechanical theory, string oh, theory, yes. M theory. Yes, they. I try think to, there's a Q theory now. I'm,
0: I'm I don't know if they've used all the letters or not, but they've
1: probably come really close. It's the last like a, one
0: I remember was M theory, but I don't even know. It's like I don't a, even know if that's 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 what you know they're hip
1: on today. There might be something else. It's like might another be group. Theory. It's like another group using all the letters. We've got scientists using all the letters as well. <laughs> but when you see them, go, they're talking about all these big terms, and you know you know, you cannot believe in the existence of God because of all these things, because of all of this stuff, and 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 it's a very simple thing again, and this is a very easy thing to practice if they start looking at you and saying, you can't believe in God because of all these things. You just say, look, if we are creation, it has a creator, right? Right. If there is a created order to anything, then there must be one who orders right, creation. Right. And this takes us, takes us back to, to apologetics and yes. defending
0: the faith. And you had made mention of presuppositional apologetics in our last discussion, and this really strikes at the heart of that presuppositional argument. Right? If, if, if we want to throw out there that the world is simply the result of time and chance acting on matter, That just over billions and billions and billions of years, things happened, and all of a sudden we're here. Yeah, you know there was there was a bacteria, and uh, one thing led to another, and now there's two guys sitting talking into microphones. Um, If we want to throw out there that if only you would rise above that immature understanding of the world and of reality to recognize that there's no such thing as a God, that really we are the result of billions of years of evolution. And it's a beautiful thing that we're the result of billions of years of evolution. My immediate response is, well, if we're just the result of evolution, what's wrong with me believing in God? Right.
1: It's You're, a very simple thing, but you know what it does? It completely it completely cuts the legs out from underneath what they've got to say. Exactly. And that's and that's the, that's the only point,
0: right? It's is is to use like like we've talked about this this high level intellectual jargon to to almost, you know, like you said, to to hush hush the naysayers. Yes. But the reality is is that if if God is not who he says he was, if 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 Jesus is not who he said he was, if if there is no order to creation, well, then what's the problem? Right. So what? Who cares? Right. If I choose to live out my evolutionary existence, believing in a god, why does it matter? We're just we're there's just the result of time and chance acting on matter. As as I've heard one uh, one pastor put it, we're just bags of stuff. We're just meat bags of stuff, bipedal protoplasm. Who cares if stardust bumps into stardust? Nobody. Right. It, it doesn't. In the cosmic picture, it does not matter whatsoever. It makes no difference.
1: So, okay, let's say you're right. Who cares? And what that does is it takes it back to like Athanasius did. Well, that can't be true because there's obvious problems and difficulties and hardships in the world. And we would say, you're right. There is hardship and difficulties. It is sin that is prevalent in the world. And because sin is a problem. It needs a solution. And there is only one way that this problem of sin can be solved. Right, it is through right. the incarnation of Christ himself. And so Athanasius so eloquently takes it out of the level of the head and puts it very much in the level of your feet and your hands, and he makes it accessible to be able to talk about these things. These truths are so weighty, and 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 you and I said it at the beginning, there have been volumes of books written about it that are so thick, and they dive into all these sorts of things. But Athanasius so wonderfully puts it in this small little book, and he says, yes, there is complexity to it. Yes, there is much to dive into. It is deep. It is rich. It is a mystery. But the reality is, is you don't have to have a Ph.D. to be able to grasp these things. This is a very easy thing to understand because Christ himself made it easy. Right. He right. came as a child.
0: And one of the things I appreciate so much about including these refutations in the book is that he is driving home the point that doctrine needs to have legs. Yeah. Uh, oft, often in the church when we when we get into discussions about doctrine, they're simply intellectual exercises. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that if our doctrines do not... Uh, have no interface with the culture, if they do not actually speak to what is happening, then then perhaps we need to revisit why we hold so strongly to these doctrines. Yeah. But but Athanasius makes clear, understanding the incarnation is not only an essential doctrine, but it's a doctrine that has legs. Mm-hmm. It's a doctrine that can interact with unbelief. And, and he demonstrates that for us by dealing with the unbelief in his day.
1: Yeah. And we need to be like-minded. Right, exactly. You know, if, if these truths do not compel you to go and to do something with it. If these truths don't give you uh, hands and feet that are ready for the gospel, then you need to evaluate what is my understanding of these things. Right. right. Uh, is it a mental? Is it just a, a mental acknowledgement, or is this something that I find life in? And if you find life in it, then you live it out. Exactly. Exactly.
0: And so. We're going to go ahead and, and end our discussion here. Obviously, there is so much more that could be said about this book. And I th- obviously, Athanasius says so much more in the book itself. Um, and it is our hope and our prayer that our uh, interactions on this book and our discussion would would really just be a Kickstarter for you to be able to, to ponder these things, to think about these things, and, and to really start to interact uh, with those around you, friends, uh, family members, people in your household, your neighbors and um, we would really start to take the the truths of these doctrines and we would really begin to to apply them and really begin to discuss them in a way that brings the truth of who Christ is of what he came to accomplish and what he did accomplish in his life death, death and resurrection to a lost and a dying world. And so we so much appreciate um, you taking the opportunity to listen to us. Um, like we've mentioned, you know, Josh and I we really have discussions working together. We have discussions like this all the time. Yeah. And so we have fun sitting here talking into microphones. Yeah, It is, it is, you know, it's a little bit different than, you know, just sitting and talking, but hopefully it, uh, like we say, hopefully it has been meaningful for you and hopefully it has, it is beneficial to you as, as well. And so our goal for this podcast, our goal for the ardent archives is to produce one new audio book a month. We're using the podcast platform to produce, uh, es- essentially to produce audiobooks, and we're going to be reading through the books and then also providing discussions of the mm-hmm. books after uh, we've read through them. And so our goal is to provide those, uh, these series uh, once a quarter. And so tentatively right now, what we're looking at is to release our next book on March 1st of 2021. Obviously, that's a tentative date. Uh it could be a little bit earlier, could be a little bit later, but that's about the time frame you're kind of looking at, is is around the March first yeah. time frame. Um and uh we are have already got our next book selected. Uh Josh, do you wanna tell us about what uh book we're going to be doing uh next season on The Ardent
1: Archives? Yeah, uh next one we're gonna do is Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Which and, is another classic. Oh man, it it is it is maybe the classic, you know, in, in terms of uh, a, a fictional or an allegorical writing right, in, right. In, uh, in Christian literature. And, uh, and I, I love reading it. There's, there really is, there's two books that I read every year. Uh, one is On the Incarnation, which we've just read. And the other one is this one that we're about to record, The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And I am
0: so excited about going through this book. I remember I had to read this book for I guess it was in middle school. Um, and I don't think I've read it since. Um, obviously I've heard other people discuss it. Um, I started reading it with my son uh, a few months ago. He has a a copy of it. Um, and he's very uninterested. He wanted to go play. And Mm -hmm. so we've kind of, you know, we've kind of read it a little bit and kind of put it down and kind of picked it up a little bit and kind of put it down. So we haven't done it with any regularity, but I'm very, very much excited about going through this book. Um, And if you stay tuned till the end of this episode, we will actually have a a little teaser for next season on the Ardent Archive. So be looking out for that at the end of this episode. Um, We can't thank you enough, like we say, for taking the time to listen to this. We hope that it has been edifying to you. We hope that it has been uh, beneficial to you. Um, And we look forward to seeing you again next season on the Ardent Archives. (music) We hope that you enjoyed this discussion of On the Incarnation, and we hope that it has been edifying to you and your walk with Christ. Now, this conversation is by no means exhaustive, so we pray that our discussion sparks meaningful conversations with friends and family as we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ during this holiday season. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact us at podcasts at northclay.org. We look forward to learning with you again soon here on The Ardent Archives. Welcome to the Ardent Archives, a ministry of North Clay Baptist Church. Here we explore the writings of church history in order to edify and equip the saints in their ongoing discipleship. In this series, we are reading and discussing The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Written in the late 1600s, The Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the Christian life, following the main character, Christian, on his journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. More than any other work in the history of the church, The Pilgrim's Progress captures both the struggles and joys of living the Christian life in a way that is not only accurate, but enjoyable to read. So prepare yourself for an epic adventure as we embark on The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan.